So as we just learned, as we read God's word, we get this morning to the third letter of John. We took several months to go through 1 John, and then last week Matthew preached a sermon on 2 John, and today we conclude this series with 3 John. Now, 3 John is the shortest book in the Bible, and of course it is therefore also the shortest epistle, but it is also the most personable of all the epistles, and it is most arguably the most personal book in all of the New Testament. Most of the epistles were originally, that went originally to churches went to groups or was supposed to be read to groups of people. First and second John were both in that category. The pastoral epistles, like the ones went to specific individuals, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, even those were supposed to be read to a church or to churches. But third John is different. Third John is different because although it has universal value and application, and although it is beneficial to the entire Christian church, the content and the style of the letter is mostly personal. And so this letter closely resembles the secular pattern of writing a letter in the first century A.D. And so when we look at this, this looks like a letter to a particular person. And that is exactly what we see. We see that this is a personal letter written by the Apostle John, and it is written to a specific person named Gaius. Gaius is not identified for us, but the fact that John is writing a letter to him indicates that he is most probably a leader of a church. And so we don't know exactly who he is, but he is a prominent man. One thing that we do see from this text is that John loved Gaius. And so in, even in verse 1, we see the elder, is, which is how John announces himself, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And then three more times in these few verses, verses 2, 5, and 11 starts with these words, beloved. This is a tender and caring letter to a beloved brother. One more thing that we see here is that Gaius was spiritually prosperous. He was spiritually prosperous. And we ask the question, why... Why was he spiritually prosperous? What, what indicates here for us that he is spiritually prosperous? Well, we see in verse 4, John says that he is walking in the truth. Now this, walking in the truth, is one of the core shared values that we have seen all through 1 John, that we've seen in, in 2 John last week. Actually, Matthew's sermon title last week was Walk in Truth and Love. And again, we see the same topic here today, walking in the truth. And so if you're like me, then um, you wonder, okay, so if we've talked about walking in the truth several times in 1 John and then again in 2 John, Josh, what are you going to say more about walking in the truth today that we haven't heard already? Well, I have two thoughts about that. I have two thoughts. And 
Um, the first thought is this. If God repeats his word to us, we should be eager to be repetitive readers and repetitive listeners. Thank you, Rebecca. She reminded me of that this week. The second thing is that according to the writer of Hebrews, the word of God is living and active. And we should never think that we can be able to reach the depth of any one truth in this book. Because you know what this book is, church. This is a book where God, our infinite God, reveals himself to us. And because we are finite creatures and he's an infinite God, for that reason, we'll never get to the bottom of this book. We'll never even get to the bottom of one truth in this book. And so it is with walking in truth. And so today, by God's grace, we're going to see one more facet of what it means to walk in the truth. Namely, that walking in the truth means laying down our lives to love people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this passage this morning, we are going to look at two specific examples of those who are walking in the truth by laying down their lives for people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are going to look at the brothers laying down their lives to spread the gospel, and we are going to look at Gaius laying down his life to support the spread of the gospel. Pray with me, please. Lord, as we jump into your word this morning, we realize that we are looking at words of our God, our infinite God, revealing yourself to us. Lord, I pray that at this moment you will quiet our hearts, that you will open our ears, Holy Spirit, that you will use my broken words, and that we together, Lord, as we hear your word, will be affected by it, and that as a result, we will love you more. Thank you for your word. Thank you for 3 John. Bless the preaching of your word now, I pray in your name. Amen. So the first example we see is from a group of Men who are not identified exactly who they are. We don't see names of them and we don't see where they are from. They are simply called the brothers. And we see them mentioned in verse 3 the first time. Look with me at verse 3. It says, For I rejoiced greatly, this is John speaking, when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And in verse 5 we see that it states that Gaius was not known to them. They were strangers to Gaius. And so we wonder, who are these brothers who are strangers to Gaius? And yet they went to Gaius and they also went to John because they spoke to both of them. They testified about Gaius to John. And if we look at verse 7, I think it helps us to develop an answer. Verse 7 says, For they have gone out for the sake of the name. This is our clue, church. This is a clue to who the brothers were. They were those who went out for the sake of the name. They were traveling Christians or traveling Christian workers, as they are often referred to 
If you and I would refer to them today, we would probably call them missionaries. These brothers were men who laid down their lives to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are men who heard the gospel call to go, Matthew 28 verse 19, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. They have heard that call and they have obeyed. You see, the early church depended on Christian workers like these to spread the gospel. They traveled from region to region and from church to church to testify about Jesus Christ. And they preached about the salvation that can be found in Jesus alone. And while they were there, they encouraged the Christians. They encouraged them about what they have seen Christ do in, in, in the region that they've been traveling to. They were Christian workers. These brothers laid down their lives to love people for the sake of the gospel by traveling all around and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they gave up much. They gave up security, job, house, community, whatever was familiar to them. They gave up family, they gave up comfort, they gave up their own desires and dreams. And we have to ask why. Why why did they do this? And the answer is in this verse that we just read, verse 7. Look at it again. It says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. Interesting how it is used here, for the sake of the name. What name? Oh, of course, the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, these men were willing to leave, to use the language of Matthew 19, to leave houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and lands for the sake of Jesus' name. Why? Because they believed They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ because they believed what Philippians 2 says today in verse 5, from verse 5 to 11. Hear this about Christ. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These Christian workers believed. They believed what you and I need to believe in order to be saved. That Jesus Christ being fully God... Did not not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was willing to leave heaven and come down to earth. Take the form of a man. 
But then he did what we could not do. He lived a perfect life. And he was willing to go to the cross and be a substitute for you and me so that our sins could be paid for by his blood. What, what an amazing gospel, church. These people, these men, believed this. They believed. And if Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant... And if God so highly exalted Jesus and, uh, and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, how could they remain silent? How could they stay in the comfort of their own lives? And of course, we see here that they didn't. Rather, they were moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they laid down their lives to love people for the sake of the gospel by going and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an example to us this morning. And I want to ask you, church, do you believe this? Do you believe like they believe? Do you believe that God so highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow? And do you believe according to Acts 4 verse 12 that there is salvation in no one else? For there is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. And if you believe that, do you realize, church, what this means? Do you realize that this means that the millions upon millions of people on this earth who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that his death on the cross paid for their sins and have put their faith in him and are now living for him to the glory of God and everybody who claim not to believe in God and everybody who serves a different God that those millions upon millions of people are lost. Church, we should just fall on our faces here and cry for mercy from God. There are not many paths to God. Only one, and his name is Jesus Christ. And everyone who will not believe, and everyone who will not live for him, and everyone who will not in this life bow their knee in submission to him is lost. And will one day bow when the judge is here. I wonder how we process this. Do we hear this and think there must be another way? Let me tell you, there is not. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or do you hear it and feel sorry for those people and quickly choose to forget because it is just so hard to think about this? Or do you choose not to think about this at all? 
Or do you feel like I sometimes feel that I'm just one person. I can't really do anything about this. And then just go on my merry way. Church, or do we have a brokenness and a sorrow for those people? Does it stir up in us an urgency like it stirred up an urgency in the brothers who were willing to lay down their lives and go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people? Christian, you and I have received mercy. We've received mercy to hear the gospel of Jesus. We've received mercy to believe the gospel of Jesus. And therefore, we have received mercy to be saved. How can we not lay down our lives for those people who do not yet believe, who have not yet heard and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they too can receive mercy to hear and believe and be saved? Listen how Romans 10 charges us. Verses 13 through 15 and then verse 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then it says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach Unless they are sent. So faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Church the call to go and make disciples. Is not an exclusive call. There are not some people who are called. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To everybody on earth. But you and I. And every other Christian. Is called to follow this call. Now I know many of us are unable for a variety of reasons to pack up your stuff today and move to Indonesia and be a full-time missionary. And there are many reasons why many of us cannot do that. But let me tell you this morning Even if you cannot do that, you are still called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day where you are. Because family and friends and and co-workers and gym buddies and people you meet at Kroger and at the library, all of them who do not believe in Jesus Christ need to hear the message about Jesus Christ and the saving Grace that is available in him. And if we do not preach it, they cannot hear it. And if they cannot hear it, they cannot believe. And if they do not believe, they cannot be saved. This is our responsibility, church. This is every Christian's responsibility to be like the brothers, a Christian worker. And church, if we love people like Christ loved us, we will preach his gospel eagerly and we will preach it continuously. And if you, like me, struggle with doing this at your work and at the movie theater and wherever we go, we 
need to go before God and ask us, ask him to forgive us and to give us love, hearts of love that understand the, the brokenness, the lostness, and what our responsibility is to preach in love the good news of Jesus Christ to a dying world. <clears throat> and so I charge you to say like Isaiah said when he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us to say, here am I, send me. I believe with all my heart that there are men and women here this morning that need to say this. You have heard God's call and you need to obey. Here am I, send me. Or like Ben Riddell, who after he retired chose not to move to Florida and go pick up shells every morning on the beach, but to devote his life to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to young men and women in prisons all around our city. These are men that said yes to that call, who will go for us? And they said, here am I, send me. Church, walking in the truth, that's the category that we're thinking of this morning. What does it mean to walk in the truth? If we look at the examples of the brothers, walking in truth means laying down our lives to love people. Preaching the gospel is loving people by going and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a second example then for us that we see, and that example is the example from Gaius, whom this letter is addressed to. And we've already seen that John is saying he is walking in the truth. So, all right, guys, how, is, how are you walking in the truth? And John tells us how. Look with me at verses 5 through 8 in 3 John. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your effort for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Question, how is Gaius walking in the truth? Answer, by supporting these brothers who went to love people by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me jump in here really quick and say, hearing that one of the ways to walk in truth is supporting those who go may sound, oh, this sounds much easier than actually going and doing this, which was our other example. And I want to warn each one of us to not think, oh, I'm going to, maybe I'm rather called to support than to go. And, but if we read our Bibles, church, we will not find that anywhere. We, you and me, are all called to proclaim Jesus Christ to a dying world. And we are all called to support one another as we go to proclaim Jesus Christ to a dying world. This is not a this or that calling. This is a this and that calling. It's a twofer. And we are called to do both those things equally. Now Gaius is commended here because of his efforts for the brothers. 
these efforts for the brothers. And so what did Gaius' efforts for the brothers look like? Again, we are not given much specifics, but we are given clues. One of the things that Gaius did was to offer hospitality. If you look at verse 8, it says, Therefore, we ought to support people like these. This is the ESV translation. The King James Version says, We ought to receive people like these. And the NIV says, We ought to show hospitality to people like these. And in this time period, hospitality was extremely significant. These brothers could not book into a hotel anywhere. There were not such things. These brothers, these Christian workers, were depended on Christians. Remember, they received, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. They were dependent on Christians to show hospitality to them. It would mean a place to stay. It would mean food. It would mean protection. And it would mean all those things, maybe for an extended period of time. And guys probably supported them in other ways also. He probably supported them financially. And most assuredly, he supported them by praying for these brothers. And by loving them. And by pastoring them. What we know is that Gaius was laying down his life to support the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we ask, why on earth did he do this? He was already, obviously, a church leader. So why one more thing? Why can't he just be, okay, I'm the leader, somebody else host these people? Well, the answer is again given to us in verse 6. When it says, the, when, when John says, the brothers testified to Gaius' love. Gaius didn't do this because he had to do this. Because there was a rule that says the pastor also needed to host the people. Gaius did this because of love. He loved Jesus Christ. He loved the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loved these brothers, these strangers, enough to welcome them in. And he loved the people that he knew who needed to hear the gospel that these brothers were spreading. And so it is because of love that he did this. But here's the challenge of this scripture to you and to me this morning. Read with me verse 8 again. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. It couldn't be much more direct, can it? We, that word means you and me, ought to, it indicates an expectation. It says, all of us sitting here this morning and other Christians everywhere are expected to support people like these that we may be fellow workers with the truth. We should do this because we love the gospel. Because we love Jesus Christ. Because we love those men and women who need to hear the gospel so that they can believe and be saved. Here, Romans 10 verse 15 again. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
And we can easily think of this as, oh, the church leaders are those who sent. So if somebody comes up to Matthew and says, I think I'm called to go to India to be a missionary. And so what sending is not is Matthew going like, yeah, I agree with your call. You should go to India. Go. Good luck. That is not what sending is. Sending includes all of us. Because sending is making it possible for this person who feels that they are called to go somewhere to make it possible for them by providing the necessary support, material and spiritual support, for them to be able to go and to be sustained while they are there. And if we support them and continue to support them and they are sustained, then we become fellow workers with them for the truth because then we, we, we help them to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we become co-workers, fellow workers. This is quite amazing that we are called to do this and so we see that we are not only called to lay down our lives to love people by going and preaching the gospel, but we are also called to lay down our lives by supporting those who are already doing this. All right, so what does this mean practically for me, Josh? There are no traveling Christians coming through Midlothian this week that I know of. Well, I believe it means that you and I have a responsibility to support each other in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. It includes our pastors, missionaries that are supported by our local church, missionaries that you know that you have relationship with, other Christian workers that you know that work in the city or anywhere else on earth. We as Christians are supposed to support one another. How are we supposed to do that? One way is financial. Now, I want you to not get stuck there. It is easy for us, I know, it happens to me. It's easy to hear, there's a, there is a, a missionary, we need to support them, and the thing that pops in your head first is what? Dollar sign. How much do I need to give? Now, it is important to give money, and remember this, that every time that Jesus mentions money in, or God mentions money in the Bible, he's, he's much more concerned about the heart that is willing to give because it says I love God and therefore I give then he is about the amount of money that is given but so we do support in giving finances but praying for another Christian worker is the greatest gift that you can ever give a man or a woman can you imagine that you are asking the God of the universe to come alongside this person and help them succeed in what he's called them to do what an amazing gift when we pray for one another in that way. And so we need to lay down our lives by loving one another in all manner of efforts. That's the word that John used. In all manner of efforts, we need to support those brothers and sisters who are currently, which should be all of us, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now church, let me tell you this morning as I stand here that as I look over this church, I am overjoyed by the fact that 
so many of you are already doing this. You are faithfully giving your tithes and offerings so that this church can preach the gospel. You are praying for your leaders. You are giving generously to our missions fund or to individual missions that you support. And I am often undone when there is a call to support one of our missionaries. and Maybe I'm undone because my son is one of them. But to see how joyfully and how bountifully this church is willing to give to those who are in other places preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you. Thank you, church, for doing that. Thank you for the way that you are walking in the truth because you are supporting men and women who is carrying out the word of God. And so this morning, I kind of feel like I'm preaching to half of the choir. You're the half. The other half is in Bolivia. Um, But I realize this, that those who are in Bolivia and Matthew who who is in Africa that many of you gave time and money and support and stuff to make it possible for them to be there now. So thank you, church. Um, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for the way that you are willing to give generously and joyfully. We will be amiss, though, if we stop here this morning and we do not heed the warning signal in the latter portion of this letter When John speaks of one other man, Diotrephes, if that's how you pronounce his name. If Gaius was walking in the truth by laying down his life to love people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we see the exact opposite in the life of Diotrephes, who is shown here not to be walking in the truth, not to be laying down his life, and not loving people. And if we read verses 9 and 10, we'll see that Diotrephes likes to put himself first. He does not like to acknowledge the authority over him. He is a slanderer. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He opposes those Christians who want to welcome the brothers. And he even excommunicates them. And my first thought is, you sleazeball. What kind of a man are you? But you know, when we stop and we evaluate what Diotrephes' sin is, church, I think we will find quickly that his sin is not a sin that we are unfamiliar with ourselves. And it is nothing other than selfish pride. Verse 9 says that he likes to put himself first. And all these other things, resisting authority, slandering, refusing to welcome the brothers, all those things stem out of that which ruled his life, pride. Now, he was not the man who patented pride. No, we see this sin through the ages. And Adam and Eve had this sin where they in selfish pride resisted God's authority over them and they chose to put themselves first. 
And from that time until today, we see that we all, in some way or form, struggle with this exact same sin. But here's the thing, church. Do you realize that selfish pride, putting ourselves first, is directly opposite to what this passage is calling us to do, laying down our lives? Even Philippians says this. Philippians 2 and verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition, pride, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So while the brothers and Gaius were laying down their lives, counting others as more important, Diotrephes put himself first. What a climactic difference we see here. And then John makes this amazing distinction. He says, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. He is saying that to lay down your life for other people, to love other people, to put other people's needs before your own is good. And to put yourself first by loving your own comfort most, by choosing yourself over other people is evil. It's, it's a big deal. Look at the verdict about this in verse 11b. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And he's calling us to do good. Church, this is a siren ringing in this chapter. Because we either seek to lay down our lives, and we may, none of us may do this perfectly, but we either seek to lay down our lives to love people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this chapter says we, they, we are then from God, or we put ourselves first. And when we put ourselves first, according to this passage, we have not seen God. This again is a litmus test for you and me today. Do I seek to love others more than myself? To count others more significant than myself? If I do, the evidence will be that I lay down my life to love people by proclaiming the gospel and by supporting the gospel. Or do I like and love myself first? And the evidence would that be the evidence of that be, will be that I do not proclaim, that I do not lay down my life, and I do not support all efforts for the gospel. And I think the siren rings so that we can evaluate our lives and realize that maybe we too are guilty of the sin of pride. And if we find that, we need to humbly go before our Heavenly Father who is willing and able to forgive us of that. We need to do that because both James 4 and 1 Peter 5 say exactly the same thing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Church, we don't want to be opposed by God. We don't want to be opposed by him. We want, to, we want to receive grace from him. So I urge you today to evaluate your life in light of what this passage says to see 
And if you struggle with pride like I often see in my own life, wanting to put myself first, let's go to God and ask him to forgive us. And he will, gl- he will gladly do that, church. And he will give us hearts that love people, that love the gospel, so that we can go and lay down our lives. Church, walking in the truth means to, in humility, lay down our lives. It's a hard call. It means to lay down our lives, to proclaim the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dying world. And it means to support one another as we do that. May God give us hearts that love and not hearts that are prideful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message, which is both a joy and both hard to hear. And God, as your church this morning, we want to obey you We want to be fellow workers of the truth. We want to lay down our lives to preach the name of Jesus, the name above all names, so that people can hear and believe and be saved. And we want to support those who are doing this right now. Lord, but my own heart is so prideful and so selfish. Lord, I want to ask your forgiveness for me and for anyone in this church who can relate. Who wants to put ourselves first and think, I would so much rather do what is fun and enjoyable and cost less than going and laying down my life. And Lord, I pray that you will forgive us this morning that you will forgive us for the sin of pride that is evident in our lives and that you will replace that pride with love so that when we walk out here and tomorrow at work and at gym and at school and wherever we go, when we look at people, that we will realize you have loved them, you've given your life for them. Lord, will you empower us to do way less than what you did but to lay down our lives to tell these people about the saving grace in Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to not not be closed to supporting, but to do it joyfully every time and to do it continually. Lord, we thank you that you gave your life for us. Now empower us to give our lives for the spread of the gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen.